0: Please.
1: What you say uh, for you was your, your highlight in your your long uh, career and experience with uh, George Dew?
0: Wow. So many.
1: May, may you name a couple?
0: Probably uh, Don Kirshner's rock concert. Uh, national TV. We did reach for it. And my whole family was back in Detroit, sitting in front of the TV, almost like they were watching the Beatles, but they was watching us. That was a big highlight, you know, playing that solo and then calling my mom, hearing her cry, and that was that was a big deal. Um, so many would do. So many TV shows. Um, one big highlight was when we went to Brazil to do the Brazilian Loverfield record. We were there for maybe three weeks and we played with a lot of Brazilian musicians. And we went to Samba School, which was still like a dream, a big a stadium full of people with tambourines and drums. And, um, you know, that was that was heavy, you know. So George took me to Rio. At that time, Nduga was out the band. That was Ricky Lawson that did that record. Along with some Brazilian cats that he kind of mixed together to get that real feel. That was a big highlight. Just so many with Duke, man. Just just to know him and to, to do those records with him, you know, was a pleasure. Yeah. All the way to the end, you know?
1: And that the Brazilian record was uh, early
0: 80s, right? Was it? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, I mean, it must have been uh, very difficult uh, when he left us, um, you know. And then more recently, of course, Indugu did. And I really had hoped to have him on the show. And I was just, you know, so, you know, saddened. Um, you reach out to him? What's that?
0: Did you ever reach out to Indugu?
1: I was trying to. And then I found out that he was not doing well. And then shortly later, he left us. So.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, those were the two two hardest moments. But I'm still here, still funky.
1: Yeah, you're still carrying it on and I mean they've left us with so much wonderful music
0: forever. So it's incredible. You know, I could sit in my studio for a week and play songs and don't play the same song, you know. And still his stuff. Nice yeah, that was a hard time.
1: What about some of the other guys that you ended up playing with? Um, you know, you, you always kind of kept, you know, your, your, your finger on what Duke was doing, but you branched out. <laughs> and, and how did you kind of negotiate, or, or ne- not negotiate, but navigate, you know, expanding your, your palette like that?
0: Well, the Herbie Hancock thing came. Herbie always was listening to what Duke was doing. You know, they were just—they li- were always listening to each other because they were both at the same record label. So Herbie, after Reach For It, Herbie had his management call me in a and say, hey, y- y'all think you can uh, fly down and do a record with, with Herbie? And I said, Duke, what you think? He said, yeah, we going. So and Duke didn't like it, though. That's how the Herbie thing, that connection happened. And we did the, the song, I Thought It Was You, which was a big hit for Herbie. Um,
1: yeah, he did vocals.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, from that same session, it was two songs on the, the next CD or LP at that time called Hands that Herbie did from that same session. And that was a deep time because it was me, Edugo, Myself, Herbie, Wawa, all staying in the same condo hmm. during those sessions. I think we were in the, we were in there for about 10 days. And Herbie would wake up every morning at like 6, 10. Waking everybody up. Everybody cussing at him, telling him to chef the F up. It was crazy. And I don't know if you had, have you ever met Wawa?
1: No, and he's also too, you know.
0: Another one gone. Yeah, yeah. I shed a tear for the other two. I ain't gonna do him. Um, just the craziest individual you ever want to meet, but a sweetheart. So it was all of us standing in the same spot, and um, you know, every time I run across Herbie, we talk about that time, man. It was an incredible time, you know, uh, especially for me, you know, playing with. I grew up listening to Herbie, too, all those Headhunter records. And oh, yeah. I couldn't believe I was in the studio or standing in the same spot with him, you know. So, uh, like I said, it's all it's all been magical for me. It's all been magical from the beginning to breaking my foot all the way up until this point where we are now.
1: And, I mean, you also uh, uh, got with Ramsey Lewis and um, later Jeffrey Osborne from that LTD uh connection yeah. you mentioned before yeah connection. yeah, yeah. Um,
0: even man,
1: Tom, Tom Waits uh,
0: that? Tom Waits crazy dude man great session so that connection happened because um, Herb Cohen who was George Duke's manager was managing Tom Waits and Herb had an idea he said Tom I'm gonna put you with these funk cats and do a record. So that's how that, that kind of happened. And me and Tom, me and Tom hit it off like, you know, he's like, dude, you gotta go out and roll with me everything. You know, we had a ball, man. Tom is a great cat, man. He's a stylist. He's a one of a kind.
1: Yeah, a I gotta, gotta th- admit, I haven't heard that recording of yours. Um, I first became aware of him when I saw him in Sarinet Live, you know, decades ago. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then you eventually did uh, a record with Stanley, too?
0: Stanley Clark. Clark? Yeah. I did a one song, Funny How Time Flies, mm-hmm. which we were doing. Stanley was doing a demo on me to get me a record deal. And that was a song I was doing on myself. And after we got into doing the track, Stanley was like, yo, B. I want that song, man. I said, Well, what's it worth for you? What's it worth to you? So he gave me some money and he gave me production and it was on his record. That's how that came about. And the Stanley Turn, was it? No, the um, Ramsey Lewis thing, that came about because from my um, connection with Larry Dunn, piano player with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Me and Larry were tight. We still tight. Okay. Larry Dunn, L. McKay. You know, those cats that were in that original Earthwind Wind of Fire, Nduga and I used to run with those cats. So we got tight. And Larry Dunn called me for that session. So that was my chance to go act like I was Verdine, because I love Verdine. So me and Duga was, uh, he was white, and I was the other white, Verdine. So that's that's how we got Larry Dunn. To uh, call us for those sessions, and we put that Earth Wind and Fire groove on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ramsey loved it.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah. And what was what was Ramsey like as a guy? I mean, thankfully, he's still with us, you know.
0: Yeah, he's still with us. Um, I heard he loved it. I had never, I never met Ramsey ever oh. to this day. Oh. Hmm. I did the sessions, but I've never met him.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, I heard he's. I hear he's a great cat.
1: I uh, saw in your credits also Lalo Schifrin, which uh, struck a note for me because, I mean, I really love the soundtrack and, you know, that kind of music that, that he did. Uh, did you ever meet him?
0: I did. I was in the studio with Lalo. We did the uh, the movie. Um, what was the name of that movie? Uh, Elm Street or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Okay, yeah. yeah. Freddy Krueger, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, we did the Nightmare on Elm Street uh soundtrack and Lalo did the music. And on that session it was myself, Wawa, Patrice Russian and Endugal. And a big ass orchestra. So you talking about reading charts, you had you had to be on top of it. So that's where the reading came in. You know. But uh Lalo's a great cat, man. I don't is he still with us? Is he still living?
1: I'm not sure, you know, but um I used to actually. I was a disc jockey for many years in Los Angeles, and I ran a mobile disc jockey company. And actually, did several events for his wife, so I was okay. in, their, in their home and that kind of thing. But
0: right.
1: um, he he may still be with us. I'm not sure.
0: I think so. I would have. I would have heard about that. Yeah. Um.
1: So yeah, and I wanted to mention before we totally move off of Duke, um, just a couple of his other records that I want listeners and watchers of the show to make sure that they check out if they haven't already because they're great. Uh, Funkin' for the Thrill and Master of the Game, those were also just records that I really, really loved and great funk on them.
0: Yeah, Master of the Game was, that's one of my favorite Duke records. Yeah. Um, The tunes he wrote for that record were, like, incredible. And then some of the the jam stuff we would do and he would turn into songs were great, too. You know, at that time, that's when I was really, I was always comfortable playing with Duke, but I had grown, grown musically that, you know, if Duke would play something, we used to, a lot of times, play the same thing together magically at the same time. Sometimes I could hear where he's going, and when he got there, I was already waiting there for him, and it used to blow his mind. We used to just look at each other and laugh. Um, and Dougal wasn't in the band at that time. That was Ricky Lawson, also Sheila E. Um, uh, David Miles from Detroit played in that band. Um, yeah, and then the Funkin' for the Thrill. Funk, I wrote that song, by like, Funkin' for the Thrill. That was Follow the Rainbow LP. Yeah. Some more great songs. Some. He wrote some kind of Motown changes.
1: Pluck is hot. I love yeah. that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um I actually got a chance to act like I was Jameson on some of those songs, man. You know, Duke was it would blow his mind how I could do that. But um Duke is a hell of a writer, man. He wrote he wrote some great songs, man, for that band. And he would write he would write just for the particular cats in the band. You know, he would write. He wouldn't. He wouldn't go over the top with stuff. Um, in the later years, he would write for who he knew he was writing for. That was his genius. You know, in the younger days, he would he just write these songs and our time and you better be able to play it. Later, it was like what what does this cat play the most comfortable doing? And um, it amazed me how he could do that. You know, even Sheila, he knew how everybody. He knew everybody's limit, and he would write to that and make it make it a record. Hmm. You know, probably didn't pay us enough, but it's okay. Well,
1: hopefully, you had built up your bank account from Santana, and you were all good.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I made I made some good money with Duke too. I'm still getting paid for, reach for it Yeah, What's that forty five years ago? What's that? That's forty five years ago, huh? Reach for it? Long time.
1: Yeah, man. Incredible.
0: oh right, let's move on. I won't talk yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Seems like about uh five or ten years ago maybe. Wow. But you know what? Like I said, I never get tired of hearing it. It sounds fresh to my ears still. So
0: Yeah. I hear it I hear it three, four times on the radio every month. Yeah. Yeah. Every month I still hear it. So
1: and You also uh, worked with Philip Bailey. we were talking about some of the Earth Wind and Fire cats, but I saw you have a credit with him too.
0: Yeah, I did. Um, I did a gospel record with him. Um, Philip's a great cat. Me and Philip used to play uh, basketball together. I used to whip his tail playing basketball, and then we started recording, and uh, and then. I did some live stuff, and then I did that one recording with him. So that was the Philip Bailey hookup.
1: Yeah. Philip and Larry both been on the show. They were great. Especially, oh, okay. Yeah, especially Larry. I mean, he's just really, really nice guy. Yeah. Um, and you uh, did a uh, – I'm just going to uh, mention some, some highlights that stood out to me, but the um, Stevie Wonder – Covers that you've done on a couple of recordings, right? You did "I Wish."
0: I did "I Wish." That was on Nyge's record.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, George Duke produced that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was me and Duke played on that session.
1: That must have been yeah. fun to play that that bass line
0: Oh, it's re- real fun. I wanted to play with Stevie back in back in the day, but my good friend Nate Watts was playing with him. Mm-hmm. I used to tell Nate I was going to break his hand so he couldn't <laughs> do a gig no more um now Nate, he's the only cat for that band. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun doing that session, I wish. Yeah that was not G's record, yeah.
1: And one other Duke record one of my favorite later period Duke records was After Hours.
0: Ah, right. It was a different there's different cats on that record though. And Dugo, um Larry Campbell played on some of that. Um That's one of my favorites too. That's a good record if you're just chilling, having a glass of wine. And Duke, Duke will put you to sleep or make you feel sexy or something. Yeah, Yeah. it's a great record. Yeah,
1: yeah, because some guys, you know, give a bad, bad, um, you know, bad name or they smooth jazz. You know, that's a term that gets thrown around a lot and covers a lot of stuff that maybe shouldn't really be called that and. Yeah, that is smooth jazz, but not like the you know elevator music kind of smooth jazz. It's good smooth well,
0: jazz. He'll uh, Roll on his grave right now. He, he 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 was he didn't do smooth jazz, you know. And what I learned from him is a way to get in that genre and still be musical. And you know, like my records now, I'm I'm not sitting down doing smooth jazz. I'm I'm playing me. I'm not, I'm not going to name no names. Some people have formulas that they use to do that music. And you hear it every time you hear it on the radio. But I try, I, I try to keep it fresh.
1: Let's talk about some of those, those records, uh, Byron. Um, you did a few early on in the 90s um, that I guess, you know, there were a little more electronic, a little more like contemporary R&B flavor. Uh, and yeah. then you were gone for a while. And what um, were what were you, you kind of doing on your downtime?
0: Um, well, those first records I was doing, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just searching, trying to find a, a sound and and whatnot because um, I felt like I was supposed to do that. Um, but then I stopped doing that, and then I started touring. I toured. I did the last Marvin Gaye tour. Hmm. So I was on the road with Marvin for a year. Right before he died. And um that was eighty eighty four, eighty five. Um during that same time I I toured with Shaka Khan. During that same time I did two tours with the Crusaders with and and another tour with Joe Sample. And a recording. I did the Carmel album with Joe Sample.
1: That's a classic.
0: All during that time. You know, and um, so, you know, I left. I was gone, long gone from the Duke band. Tried my thing for a minute, but you know, I got four kids. I had to go out on the road and make money. So I I was getting calls from all kinds of people. I was always able to pick and choose who I played with. So that was fun. And um, so I went out and did those tours. And then I was sitting at home, and I get a phone call from this guy, real low voice, and uh, asked me if I wanted to gig with Luther. So it was Nat Adley Jr. calling me to see. I said, I would love to play with Luther. And I told him, I said, I don't do auditions, though. He said, oh, no, you got the gig. Marcus, Marcus told us to call you, Marcus Muth. That's how I got with Luther. So I played with Luther for 16 years. Some of the best sixteen years of my life,
1: yeah, what so he's another guy that was a sweetheart, I'm guessing, right? But what can you tell us about Luther?
0: Oh, the sweetheart, just a very loyal cat. He took care of his band and the singers. You know luther got a a, a bad rap a lot of times for being uh, being a mean cat or but he was perfectionist. you couldn't you couldn't work for Luther and not do your job. And if you got caught sleeping, not doing your job, he will fire you, and he will give you a tongue lashing first. I mean, I've heard him talk to some people that made me feel like a midget. I would go, oh, I would have to run out the room. It would it would be so bad. But now Luther was like family to me, you know, and my kids. You know, Luther flew one year to L.A. to get my two youngest daughters uh diamond earrings for Christmas. Got off the plane, gave him diamond earrings and went back to New York. He was that kind of cat. Gave all the the, the female background singers one year fur coats for Christmas. He didn't get a guy's fur coats. We got got money bonuses. Always gave bonuses after tours. You know, always gave you a chance to write a track or something for one of his records. You know, so... um, that was that was a good 16 years. <laughs> and I learned a lot from Luther about playing and being simple and perfect. Um, playing the Luther Vandross show was the hardest shows I ever played because you could not mess up. And you had to play it note for note. It, it, it was just like that. And if you ever tried to play something over and over note for note, that's the hardest thing in the world. And if you messed up, he would kind of turn like this and look at you. And you don't want to get that look from Luke. Yeah, I did it once. The first, the first show I played with Luther was at Madison Square Garden. House is not a home. I screwed up in the middle of House is Not a Home. And he caught me in the, in the, in the hallway back there, and he had his fingers flying and gave me a tongue lashing. I never did that again.
1: How long were you with him at that point?
0: Two days, (laughs) two days, yeah. So I I, I learned that it was not a loosey-goosey gig. You had to be on top of it. So never did it, never messed up a house, not at home for the next 15 years. Not one note ever, which made me a a better musician, Mm. yeah.
1: Who is the band director?
0: It was Nat Early Jr., Cannibal Adley's nephew, and Nat Jr., uh, Nat, Nat Early, his father, trumpet player, legendary jazz cats. Yeah, yeah.
1: Was there uh, a favorite that you played with Luther that you've really sunk your teeth into and enjoyed the most, or was it just all kind of the same?
0: What What as far as songs? The repertoire. Yeah. All of it, you know, he has so much music and so so many nice songs to play, so, so, so many great changes and, um, you know, he kept it fresh, you know, he always did Never Too Much, House Is Not A Home, you know, those were songs he had to do. But uh, he always had a hit record, a platinum record, always played the sold-out shows, which heightens your experience. Um paid great. Paid when you didn't work. Great for DM. It was it was it was great. It was a great time. Luther was a great cat. He took care he took care of his his people.
1: And were you with him until the end or before then?
0: To to the end. Yeah. From the time I started playing with him in eighty eight, I was with him all the way till he died yeah oh to he died the last show the last live the last live show he did was the live at Radio City Music Hall CD that was the last one and I think he died maybe maybe ten months to a year after that He had a stroke and I think he lived six months after he had that stroke but he had a major stroke and it kind of kind of wiped him out. I've seen him once before he died uh, you know luckily you know his his people said he didn't normally know who was coming to see him he knew who i was mm-hmm. <clears throat> he knew who i was <laughs> he was asking me he said man i hope you uh hope you're not late to sound check i said no i'll be there man be right with you he said all right mm-hmm. nat told me you've been late i said no not Nat let nat lied i'm always on time that was the last time I seen him in New York. Yeah, but well, he was a great cat.
1: Yeah, just someone else who just left us with an amazing legacy. And they, mm-hmm. Um So, how would how Luther compare in your mind vocally to Marvin Gaye, who you said you also toured with?
0: Ooh, just totally takes me back to style. Marvin was a stylist. Marvin had a style that was like triple platinum. Triple platinum style and finesse and character that all worked with his vocal. As If you put him in the same link as singers, Marvin can't sing like Luther. Luther was one of the greatest singers of our time. Um, so it was, just, it was just different. It was different styles and, you know, that's hard to compare for me. Mm-hmm. I, um, Luther, for me, Luther is one of the greatest singers I've ever played with. And Marvin was one of the greatest singers and entertainers that I've played. With. Different styles. It's hard for me, I'm not gonna pick any one of them because I don't want to hear from their families.
1: Well, and that's really why it makes it so hard to pick the best, you know, when people are saying, you know, who is the best of this or that, you know?
0: No, you can't, especially with them two, because they were so different, but so great at what they did. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, just even through all the demons both of them had, they were still great at what they did. You know, Luther's thing was, was food, Marvin's was drugs. But they were still great at what they did.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, so i that's a non-pick'em for me.
1: Fair you enough. Know. I understand.
0: Yeah, I don't want to go to heaven and then they say, <laughs> hey man, by that interview, you know, hey, nah, I ain't doing it. Can't do
1: it. So uh, going back to your records, Psycho Base 1 and 2, love these records. I mean, Psycho, uh, the first one, so funky, you know, and at a time when, in 2015, there's not a lot of funk to be heard, you know? Yeah, Uh, no funk. Real funk. Yeah, yeah. So what inspired you to take that on and do it?
0: Well, by that time, I kind of grew into myself, got my own studio, could kind of work things the way I want to work them. Didn't have to pay studio time. Didn't have to be quick doing anything. So I just kind of, I just kind of went where the spirit took me. You know, and it, it took the cycle. Well, the name Cyclebase came from um, this this old. Well, I can call him old because he's older than me. Dan Mizell, who used to run uh, Electro Records. He was the CEO of that record. I talked to him and I said, "Man, I'm gonna get ready to do another record." He said, "Don't don't just do no Byron Miller record. You can't do that. Said, That's not gonna work." I said, "Why?" "I'm Byron Miller." He said, "No, you gotta come up with another name." I said, "Okay." So in my sleep, I woke up one well, night. It's like Psycho So I said, "Okay, I'm gonna run with that." I did the Psycho Base, and I just started uh, writing off of that concept and just being myself, playing my funk and being myself. And that's how that whole record came about. That's how the whole record came about.
1: There's a lot of great tracks, but um, very uh, interesting different take on, we were talking about Steve Winder earlier with I Wish and Higher Ground on here.
0: Yeah. um, I just heard that groove slow down, you know, A little dukeified or funkified, and I had George and uh George and Ndugo on it, and um, it just and I put my little funk box on, and we just started playing it, and that's what, what we came up with, you know. And and you know, anytime you're in the studio with Duke, when he starts to take over, you just kind of sit back and let him do it. You know, for me, it was like, oh, Duke's in this. I'm looking over there like, oh, he's into this, so right? I'm shutting up there. And Duke was just doing his thing. And he was so happy to be in my studio doing my music for me. He was like, just all kind of ideals and stuff. So that was a, a good time. And even after the session, man, he said, hey man, thank you, man, because I don't get to do this for, for the catch that I know that came up with me that I love and um, you know, this was, he had cancer at that time. This was, I mean, he was bald headed. Um, he was fighting and we, me and Ndougal knew something was wrong and he came in here and uh, he put it down. He played one solo. He in, uh, in another song, uh, Strolling, called strolling. I think that's the name of the song on the record. Strolling. Yeah, I'm strolling. We're strolling.
1: Oh yeah, we're strolling. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're strolling. And um, he said, "Man, I want to do the solo again." He said, "Man, you got one more solo out of me." And I was like, "Okay." And he listened to it. He said, "That's the solo." And that's the solo I picked on the record because he did too. He said, don't use the other one, use this one. And it's, it's some <laughs> bad stuff. And I think Duke was, he was gone maybe four months after that. You know, and, um, you know, he came in here, he loved the studio, he loved the room, he loved my, my Yamaha piano, you know. So he was really happy to have done that for me, you know. And, um, so that record is special because I got him and in on
1: yeah, that's some kind of musical closure, sort of, sounds like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that was the last time I played with him. Yeah. It was on that on that psycho bass record.
1: The um Remember the Time and Spoken Funk, those are also dripping with Duke type flavor.
0: Yeah. 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 Um I you know, I get that a lot, man. I get man, you your stuff sounds like Duke. <clears throat> And I go, well, and I used to tell Duke that. He said, no, man, I sound like you because it's bass dominant. So I just tell people, hey, if it sounds like Duke, then that's the way it should sound. You know, because I play bass on all that Duke stuff and I still play the same way. So it has to sound like that. It's a style. Mm-hmm. the style that I play with. And it's the, stu- the school I came up with, as him and N'Dooghue being my mentor. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So it is what it is.
1: What What kind of um, response did you get to that record, and did it achieve what you were hoping to achieve with it?
0: Yeah, I got very good response. Um, I recorded that record, and I played it for a couple of record companies. And the feedback I got was, Well, we like the music, it's very well done. But we don't know you don't we, we don't know who your audience is. Hmm. I said, Oh, okay. So I was talking to Walter Beasley, he said, Man, let me let me hear you let me hear that back. Walter Beasley's saxophone player. Walter said, B, put this out yourself. These companies are full of it. He said, I've been with companies my whole life, and I'm not with no company anymore. So I put it out on my own. And my first single was um, You Must Be Crazy, took off. Took off. Made all the charts. The next song from that record was the El Jarro song, Hearts um, of Rising. Took off. Then I started getting calls from the same companies. Well, what are you thinking about doing for your next record? I said, I'm putting it out myself. So I'm not trying to be with a label. So I'm the label. And um, the first record did what I wanted it to do. It uh, it made a lot of noise. A lot of noise. Still couldn't get a, a, a booking agent, though. The booking agents, they're the new A&R guys. They, they're running stuff now. They're running stuff. I think you gotta pay them to book you now. It's crazy. Mm. It's a crazy it's a crazy the way it's going right now.
1: The labels, um, in my mind, I mean, have prevented so many music lovers from being able to, you know, get music that they really want, um, because they think they know what they want.
0: With the audience, yeah. Yeah. We, or we, we don't know what the audience is. You know. <laughs> Or, yeah, or, or
1: or telling or telling great you know funk or jazz artists you know that it sounds too black or it sounds too urban or it sounds too this or that and and just right. you know it's so frustrating
0: right, yeah. right so I don't listen to that anymore
1: yeah well, all credit to you on that I mean I'm so glad that you yeah. went that path um, yeah. the psychopath path with that
0: <laughs> uh, and,
1: and you came back uh, with the second part of that. Uh, a couple years ago. Um, a little bit mellower, but still the same type of flavor.
0: Yeah, The Gift. Yeah. Um, and that came from uh, not... The title came from not ever being able, not ever being able to remember not being able to play. I don't remember not ever not being able to play the bass meaning I don't remember the first time I picked up the bass and you know you really don't know what you're doing I don't remember that I've always been able to play in my mind so that's my gift so I said well this has to be the gift I gotta, I gotta give, give the gift giver his props which is God for my gift that's why I named it the gift and, um, you know, the, the cast that I use, that I get down with now is uh, Phil Davis and Ricardo Jordan. They're, they live in Atlanta. So I fly them out here. We get in the studio and we just we come up with these songs and they just they're gifts. My new record that's coming out um, called Real Love. I got I got the same stuff on there, man, but it's different. It's not like the gift or it's not like the first cycle bass record. So, I just kind of do where the spirit takes me. And I just put my style on it and see what happens. And Real Love, uh, as of yesterday, is number 22 on Billboard. The single. So, uh, I think I found my audience.
1: Congratulations on that.
0: Thank you, man. Yeah.
1: When's the full record album coming?
0: In about 30 days.
1: Okay. Definitely look for that.
0: Yeah. Real love. Stevie Wonder is playing harmonica, and when we get off when we get off of this, I'm gonna send it to you. And um, Walter Beasley is playing sex, sex solo. And I wrote this song for my two grandkids, because when they when you look at them, they look back at you. It's nothing but real love. Mm-hmm. So that's the concept. Every song on the record has the word the the name love in it. So, just some more of my craziness, my cycleness. <laughs> Psycho.
1: Now, is that one just called Real Love or is it Psycho Base 3 Real Love?
0: It's going to be, the record is going to be called uh, Real Love Psycho Base 3. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So. I'm going to keep the Psycho Base series going.
1: Yeah, it's a, um, like they say with Star Wars, it's a trio or.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm building up a repertoire with that, with the Psycho based stuff. Some good stuff so when i finally do start hitting the stage live i got i got a lot of good stuff to play
1: i i wanted to just mention in particular though on that last one um the second one the um soldier of the groove really i like the walking bass, you know i and that's you know sort of a trademark of yours right so um i i wanted to ask and that reminds me also to explain to the viewers, what would you describe as your signature element in your playing? Wow. Um, or elements?
0: Well, the, the first thing is a groove, you know, being able to groove and being able to keep it simple. Um, a lot of times bass players are all over the place. They just playing everything they know. And I used to be like that when I was young. I get it. But, but, Getting a signature lick, a style. Um, my 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 main thing is being melodic. You know, learning how to play a melody, and not sound like a bass player playing the melody. I hear bass players playing melodies, and they sound like a bass player melody, playing the melody. Um, and that's what Duke taught me. He said, "Don't don't don't be don't be that guy." Like, what you talking about, Duke? That bass player trying to play the melody when he knows he can't play no melody. He should be playing low notes. And um, after reach for it, he said, Don't change a thing ever. He said, Just keep that going because it's melodic. So it's melodic and on top, and just the funk notes on the bottom. And you ain't got to play a lot to be funky. Funk is. Uh, you, funk is not taught. Funk is a feeling. Either you got it or you don't. You can't teach nobody how to be funky. You can teach somebody tech. You know how to play a bunch of notes. You cannot teach funk. Either you got it or you don't. So, um, my thing, my biggest thing is I'm funky. Whenever any any when I need to go to the go-to thing, I'm gonna get funky. And I don't have to play a lot of notes to get funky. That's my go-to. Funk. Funk is alive. Especially in the B spot here.
1: Do you think that, uh, you know, having it be authentic, like you're talking about, part of that is from coming up in that, mo- you know, Detroit musical environment with that kind of feel? Because um, like you said, so many people maybe can you know try with the technique, but, you know, you got to feel the funk or
0: you gotta feel it, man. You know. You gotta feel it. You gotta feel the funk. You gotta know. You gotta know your sound. You gotta know how to touch your instrument. It's it's a whole lot of elements <clears throat> in the being funky and the sounding good. And making stuff feel good. It's more than just picking it up and hitting them strings. You gotta it's uh it's some different stuff, man. It's some magic in there. It's some magic, it's some uh it's some tears. It's, some uh, being broke. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, being hungry. It's, um, having a broken heart. Your lady left you. It's a lot of that in that funk.
1: Going all the way back to blues with a lot of that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so it's funk. Funk is like the blues. Real funk. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um. It's just being funky down there and being melodic up on top. You know, you gotta, you gotta be versatile too. You just can't play one thing, cause then you get stuck in, you get, you get put in a box. <laughs> I, I can't be in a box. I, mm-hmm. So that's my claim to fame. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Have you gotten confused much over your career with Marcus Miller? Have people mixed you guys up? Does that ever get frustrating? No. No?
0: No, because I talk to Marcus and he gets the same thing. Yeah. He says, man, it's such an honor when folks think I was you. I said, well, I get the same shit the same way, you know. Marcus is an incredible once-in-a-lifetime talent, you know, and, you know, he he says... The same thing about me, Marcus. He, he always tells me the story. He said, "B man, I gotta tell you, man. When I was in high school, if you couldn't play that reach for a solo, you had to leave the high school. You wasn't shit." <laughs> I was like, "Really?" And uh, that that tickles me pink. But uh, Marcus is a bad dude, man. and we get mixed up, and people think we're related and brothers and all of that, and it's cool. Marcus is a bad cat. I
1: love Mark. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, he's uh, supposed to come on uh, end of this month or maybe first week of November, so looking forward to that. That's
0: going to be a great interview.
1: So as we look back, Byron, and thank you so much for recounting all this and spending the time to share with us, so appreciate it. What can you look back to and say that you're the most proud of accomplishing musically? Is there something that really jumps out?
0: Well, the the first thing is playing the Reach for It solo. Getting the gold record that's in my office here, it's on on the wall. Every time I look at it, I thank you it. And um, then then my I mean, all the great humans I played with, all the great artists is is amazing. But now you know, um, doing my own records. You know, one of my biggest things was having a number one record of uh, the B-Spot, which was number one last year on the, the Billboard chart uh, under my own name, Byron Miller, the B-Spot under my own record label. Um, I wrote it. I produced it. I got all the money. I didn't have to share it with a record company. And I looked down at the... The Billboard list, so at the top is B-Spot, Byron Miller. Well, I re- co-wrote it with Phil Davis and Rick Jordan. And then you go down the line, you see Shana Key, you see Warner Brothers, you see all the big record companies. But I was seeing Byron Miller, LLC at the top. On top of all these companies that passed on me. That, That's the joy of my life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That I did, it, I did it like that, and I'm still doing it. And, you know, everything I did to this point took me to that, takes me to now, where I can do, I could do what I wanna do. And um, that's, that's a blessing, that's a gift. I'm probably one of the happiest men walking the earth. I'm healthy, my family's healthy, and I'm still funky. I get up, I come out, come out to my studio and I play a little funk, I go, okay. I'm still funky. I can go on with my day. If I, if I wake up one morning and I can't play no funk, I'm going to call you up. I'm going to be crying like a bitch and say, <laughs> I can't, I'm not funky no more.
1: <laughs> now, that can't happen. I'll lose faith in everything.
0: No, man. I ain't going <laughs> to let you do that. No, man. I This is all I can do. This is what I'm going to do. You know, I I eat right, I work out, and I play music.
1: Awesome. You know? do you, how, how do you feel about... Uh, being able to get back out and play in front of people once uh, things settle down here.
0: I can't wait, but I can wait. I'm not so gun ho that I'm ready to go out there and put a mask on and just because I need to be out there. Nah. I, um, you know, but I'm fortunate that I don't have to realize, I don't have to, to make money live to be able to support my family and work. You know, I do enough in the studio and I... I got enough music out there making money that I don't have to do that. I don't have to depend on a live gig or or the next gig. You know, so I've been, like I said, I, I got a gift, I've been blessed.
1: Well, once you that know, record, I- I'm sorry. Pardon me? I was going to say, once that record comes out, though, I mean, would you consider, like, you know, doing a live stream or something like that?
0: Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping not to do that. I'm hoping that, that we change presidents and we, we get some good leadership and get over this. Some of the live streams I, I've seen, I go, oh, maybe I'm going to have to do that. You know, Marcus is doing one called Saturday Nighter. He has one going on every Saturday where I think he has an actual soundstage and a film crew that are actually doing it live like that. If I did it, it would have to be like that. I don't want to sit in my studio with a track going and me playing Right, yeah. That's to me. That's that's corny. I, nah, and I, I don't want to and George up in heaven. talking about, look at him. Nah, <laughs> yeah.
1: nah. and it's got to be in a real on a real stage. Um, yeah, with good production.
0: Stage, yeah, with yeah. production and yeah, I'm into that. I'm into that because I I got too many ideals for live show and too many bases to play and just too much funk to play. You can't. You can't really be funky by yourself. <laughs> you need other people to be funky with you, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. So, how can uh, people keep up with you and get that record and all that good stuff?
0: Well, you can always look look me up at Byron Miller. com and uh, I'll be updating my website, letting people know what's happening. The record comes out in about thirty days. The singles out now called "Real Love." Uh, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music. Um, yeah, just Google me, and it take you right to, right to where I am. Perfect. I'm not hard to find. If I did something wrong, they can come pick me up right now. <laughs> I got too much stuff out there.
1: Well. Hey Byron, man, thank you so much. I feel like maybe I, I, I've earned the right hopefully to call you B now too. And, and uh, call to
0: me B Yeah. Yeah. You know you know probably know more about me than I know about myself. So <laughs> yeah, B is cool. Absolutely.
1: Continue good health and thank you so much for all the great music and uh man, just for keeping the funk alive, you know?
0: Thank you, man. Thank you for hitting me up.
1: Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm Headquarters, thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube, go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free if you love jazz funk R&B soul you can't miss it pass it along tell a friend tell family this audience is growing and it is a beautiful thing all coming together for the love of this great music also if you can throw us a buck or two we could use the support financially keeping the lights on keeping the servers going all these expenses if you can help support The program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the funkinstuff.net website. On the right hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also, drop me a line. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly, and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show, The True Music Lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfein saying, Keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.